Pastor John. And uh, 180 classic class for senior highs, grade 9 to 12. You can go right now. I know he was just on the screen. Don't let that mess with you. He's right back there. Amazing skills he has. Uh, Senior highs, you can head upstairs with Pastor John now. Thank you. We love you guys. A couple things before uh, we dive into the message today. I am just so thrilled with having been a part of and learning myself in terms of hearing God at the first of six weeks, Tuesday night, about 70 people, if I remember correctly, have uh, registered to be a part of that. We had this whole section. It was just so great. We've heard such good positive feedback, and we'll be no doubt offering that again, so uh, keep your uh, ears open for that uh, down the road. Uh, Last Sunday as well. I, I announced a date for our dedication Sunday in the new facility, and I apologize. Please disregard that. Um, yeah, we had to adjust that date slightly due to some emerging issues, and uh, that special gathering will be on April 28th, and I ain't changing it for nothing. Is that good English? Okay. Uh, a- April 28th with... Uh, Again, complimentary lunch to follow, more details coming. We really just want to plant this in your mind now. The RSVP is really important, so watch for those details of how to do that for the lunch so uh, to help uh, in, in planning. Bert and Miriam, please come to the stage. The passage we're looking at in our John Gospel of John message series today is John 4, 1 to 26, and it's a longer passage today, so we're doing something a little different. Just encourage you to open your heart again this morning to the Word of God as uh, the three of us read the various parts, the narration, and then the two characters interacting, uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, you can follow along if you have a New Living Translation. I recommend the Version app. If you, a free app. If you don't, if you don't have an app on your Bible, great, great thing to have. Uh, so open up your uh, your heart to God's word as we read this passage today. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them; his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. 
But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Then Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, I always call her that, the, the, the time is coming, sorry, sometimes I just can't help myself. Let me start that again. Go with Jesus replied. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. God bless his word, and God's word is already blessed and anointed. It's up to us, isn't it, to open our heart to the truth that's there. But what a story. What a story. Again, in this series, in these narratives, I, I hope you can, can imagine yourself being there, being the one to interact with Jesus in the way that Real human beings, yes, of a different time, but human, like we are. A reading of this passage through the lens of the 2024 Canadian culture could cause us to miss the significance of this interaction between these two individuals. We see that there, were, uh, there, there was some dissension between the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus. And verse 3 simply says that Jesus left Judea, the, the southern region, to the west of the Dead Sea, as you see on the map, and returned to Galilee, the northern region, to the west of the Sea of Galilee. With the competition being stirred up between these two groups of disciples, it could well be that Jesus just felt it better to, to, you know, to go minister somewhere else, and he chose Galilee. Well, his journey to Galilee took him through this region in the middle of Samaria, west of the Jordan, in between where he was and where he wanted to go. And most Jews would not travel. They would, they would put on many extra miles to not go through that region because they, they hated the Samaritans. You see, the, the Samaritans were uh, a mixed race. They were people of Jewish and Gentile, or that just means 
uh, Jewish, of any background. Uh, they were uh, descendants of uh, these, these two groups. And it really, it, it dated back to uh, 722 B.C., the Assyrian uh, captivity, when most of the Jews at that time were exiled, but the ones that stayed ended up intermarrying. And these are the Samaritans. And according to the Jewish establishment, <laughs> they lost their true standing as true Jews, and, and the resentment went deep. So Jesus is on this divinely appointed schedule. I believe he knew he had to be in Samaria at that time, at that place. He knew there was someone that he had to share God's love and grace and forgiveness with. And God's divine orchestration of this conversation brings life change to her and to her village, as we'll hear about in the message next Sunday. And so Jesus arrives in this uh, little Samaritan village, and you can probably imagine what it would be like if you've, uh, you know, been to a, uh, an Easter musical or something, and there's a, there's a, a, a busyness of the, the people are, are interacting and going to the market and all of this. Well, Jesus arrives there, and he, he goes right to this place that's called this thing that is Jacob's well in, in verse 6. Jacob's well is only mentioned here one time in the New Testament, but the history about the well was, was common knowledge. The, the Samaritan woman would have, would have viewed this well as a gift from her forefather Jacob who, who created it, who, who dug it, who did the hard work to provide water for both his family and for generations to come. And so after Jesus' long journey, he, he's, just, he's just dog tired if you could say that. He, he sat down weary at the well. Now, was, was he waiting for just anyone with a bucket to come along so he could ask them for a drink? Ah, I think whoever came along would be asked that question of a, of a thirsty man. Yes, but, but I'm also convinced that he was there on purpose, God's purpose. But it's interesting, isn't it? And Pastor Joel alluded to, to this, the humanity of Jesus in, in the comments and, and powerful moments, guys. Um, powerful moments that you led us in this morning. It's interesting that, that, that God the Son is tired. God the Son is thirsty. He's in need of rest and, uh, and, and hydration. Even though he's 100% God, and he is, biblically, by nature, he, he willingly entered into the normal experiences of our human lives as a man so that he could identify with us. 100% God, 100% man. To be able to identify with each one of us in every way but without sin. And thus be the bridge between human beings, sinful, broken, separated from God, human beings. He could be the bridge between humanity and God to bring us together eternally. It's a powerful thing. John fills us in on what happened soon after Jesus sat down, and by God's sovereignty, and that just means he's in control, um, a particular woman comes along, a Samaritan woman, a, a hurting woman, a broken soul who comes along at just the right time because God, in his love and mercy, ordained that she would meet Jesus that day. And many of you had a day like that where you first met Jesus. 
For some, that might be when you were a little child, raised in a Christ-following home, parents lovingly sharing the gospel with you, understanding that it's your choice to follow Jesus and all of that, but, but, but presenting the good news message of Jesus. And you learned it in Sunday school, and people that gave time and their love and heart and shared the good news of Jesus with you. And as a little child, you opened your heart to Jesus, and, and maybe you've remained faithful all the years. Or maybe, like me, in one of my high school years, had a bit of a, a spiritual wandering away, but you've come back and re committed your life to Christ, you're following him, or, or some of you maybe later in life after much, much brokenness and wrong decisions and sinful pathways that you've walked, you come and you, you meet Jesus for the first time and your life is changed as you surrender to him as this woman, it's the case in this woman's life. The Samaritan woman comes that day to get water and Jesus is there and asks her for a drink. Verse 8, John points out that Jesus' disciples had gone to the village to buy some food, as you heard us read. Um, yeah, they're hungry after their trials, and uh, they leave Jesus to rest. We'll go, we'll go get the food, no problem. We'll be in and out in a jiffy here. I, I didn't pre-plan that, so I probably should have thought a little bit more about that. Anyway, they bring back whatever they bring back, and, and, uh, but it, it's possible that given how the Jews despised the Samaritans, that... It was God that orchestrated uh, this detail that the disciples would, would not be there during the conversation with this Samaritan woman, or, or at least the initial part of that conversation, because who knows? Yes, they were disciples of Jesus, but so are, so are we, and we know we're not perfect, neither were they. And so it, it, it's quite likely that there would have been some you know, again, given, given the hatred from the Jews to the Samaritans, that there would have been some derogatory and condescending comments made that could have derailed this God-ordained conversation before it even got started. Eh, God in his sovereignty would have found a way to re-engage Jesus in this world. But you know what I'm saying. So th anyway, they're out of the picture. I'm surmising here a little bit. Also, it was not considered a proper thing for a man to speak to a strange woman in public, especially not a Jewish rabbi. But our Lord Jesus set social, uh, social customs aside, not, not to be anti-establishment, but rather because he knew those, those were secondary to the value of a soul that needed healing and hope and eternal salvation. He, he, modeled, he modeled love for this woman who was despised by, by his people, the Jews. Samaritan woman was shocked that this Jewish man would speak to her. Well, not only does Jesus speak to her, but he asks for a drink. And there's no other water container around except hers. Jews were not supposed to even touch what a Samaritan touched. But again, Jesus was willing. Willing to, to break the social taboos to reach someone with his love and grace. And a Samaritan was the object of his love as much as anyone else. What a lesson for us. It's worth noting that whenever... Whenever Jesus witnessed to someone, have you ever thought about that? That you know, we, we know the Bible says Christ followers will be witnesses to me, and you will be witnesses when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the boldness that God gave and the wisdom and the grace and all of that. But but when Jesus witnessed, and we, we can say it that way about himself to people, 
And this is a case where he did. And when he did, he didn't use some kind of sales talk or, you know, canned speech. Not that there's anything wrong. As a matter of fact, there's wisdom in, in, in preparing and, and, and getting a real handle on how you're going to describe, define, explain the gospel, the, the, the core of the, of the good news message. Yes, but, but you know what I'm saying. He didn't, he didn't prepare a, a can speak. No, he was, he was wise and loving enough. He was uh, perceptive enough to adapt what he would say to the individual. Important part of being an effective witness for Christ is listening, is asking good questions about their journey and how they arrived to believe what they're saying that they believe and all of that, right? And as you listen, you get to know background and big questions they struggle with, the challenges that have been in their life, and you can buy the Spirit's direction Share in a way that may resonate more with where they're at and where they've been. That's what Jesus did so well. Remember with Nicodemus in John 3, he talked with him about the new birth. Being born again is his words. And here with this woman, he speaks of living water. Because she regularly had to travel some distance, apparently to get water every day. The first four words of verse 10 are key words from Jesus where today's message title comes from. If you only knew, if you only knew. In verse 9, this lady had said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's wondering why he would even talk to her. She's baffled by this. And Jesus' response, if you only knew, if you only knew who I am and what God's gift to you is, and by his gift, he certainly, uh, he meant other things, I'm sure, because it's so multifaceted and powerful. But by that phrase, he meant the gift of himself in a completely, we know, non-egotistical way. Just the truth. It's the person of Jesus that is the gift to us. He said, if you only knew, if you only, if you only knew how much I loved you, if you only knew how much I desire to forgive you of your sin, if you only knew how much I want you in my eternal family, if you only knew that life that I could deposit in your soul and how it could change your life now and your eternity, if you only knew the hope, the hope that you need so desperately, if you only knew the hope that could come into your life if you chose to follow me, if you only knew I could fully quench that inner thirst that you have tried to fill and feed and take care of in many different ways. If you only knew. If you only knew. Those are, those are, those are powerful words and all-encompassing words. Jesus' statement, verse 10, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you really came to understand who I am and who I could be in your life and what you need, Revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. If you only knew, you, you, you would ask me. 
because I'm the source of filling the need that's inside that you can't even figure out. You've been there? Some of you are there now, trying to put the pieces together, trying to figure this, this thing out, this life, this void, this emptiness, this futil- the feeling of futility, whatever it is. Some of you are there now. And Jesus is saying, if you, if you only knew, I'm the, simply, I'm the answer. I am the answer. Jesus is saying, I can fill the void that you've tried to fill with many, to the woman, to, with many relationships you kept opening your life to. And maybe that's you. I'm Jesus. I'm the, I'm, I'm the living water that leads to eternal life. John 10.10, he said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Here and now and in eternity. That doesn't mean perfect, painless, difficult, free, challenge-free life in this world. No, it doesn't. As we walk through those moments of lament, we know that's not, we know that's, that's not the case. In a broken world, that's not the case. But Jesus still in the midst of a broken world that we live, is still the giver of living water. If you only knew, if you only knew, I could could free you from the chains that your sinful choices have led you to. And he speaks these words with, just filled with grace, not judgment, not a condescending bone in his body, right? We know that. And Jesus goes on to describe the significant difference between physical thirst that the water from the well temporarily quenches and spiritual thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. Can you think of a time when you were thirsty? Maybe right now. I actually am. I don't usually have a bottle of water up here, but I thought I'm sitting there and I thought, well, that would be appropriate if on this message I had one. And then I just, you know, powerful object lesson that would be. Anyway, um, I don't know. They come to me. I'm joking. Have you ever been really, really thirsty and you are, for whatever reason, far from water? Being thirsty isn't a comfortable feeling. Being really, really thirsty is is not a a comfortable sensation. So to be be never thirsty again, that would be awesome. (laughs) And as I say that, I feel a tickle in my throat. Literally, this is weird. Um, but imagine being spiritually thirsty and not, not knowing where to go or, or who to turn to to, to quench that thirst. What a, what a frustrating thing, more than frustrating. What a hopeless feeling and a, and a, a sad place to be, and, and many are there. Maybe, maybe that's how you felt. Some of you know that very well, possibly, from your life experience before you met Jesus. And, and again, yeah, some of you might be on that path right now. In, in his book, Sahara Unveiled, William Lagvasha. I'm going to get, I don't know, German, Dutch pronunciation. Langvasha is how I'm going to say it. I, there's a W there, so the V, that's right. Tells the story, anyway, the story of an Algerian uh, guy named Lag and a companion whose truck broke down while crossing the desert in that part of the world. He writes, about these two individuals. They nearly died of thirst during the three weeks they waited for being rescued. 
as their bodies dehydrated, they became willing to drink anything in hopes of quenching their terrible thirst. The sun forced them into the shade under the truck. Day after day, they lay there. They had food, but did not eat it, fearing it would magnify their thirst. I mean, we know dehydration kills before starvation. Langvasher, the author, points out that psychologists use, actually use Greek words to describe the, 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 the various stages of, of human thirst. There's a word for ordinary thirst. There's a different word for temporary intense thirst. There's another one for sustained excessive thirst. There's even a word for the kind of thirst that drives someone in extreme situations to drink anything, including urine and blood. In the book, the author tells us that Lag and his companion started drinking radiator fluid from the truck at some point, you know, well after the good, obviously, drinking water was gone in hopes of surviving and with the, with the, the blurred perspective that the, 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 the environment and the situation can bring, they, they drank poison. In their, in their trauma, they may not have been able to decipher. I, I, I'm sure they, they could not decipher that it was such. Many people do the same in the spiritual realm, sadly. They, they endeavor to quench the inner thirst with things like, like money, sex, power, whatever. But such thirst quenchers are actually spiritual poison dangerous and destructive substitutes for the living water that Jesus has lovingly offered in, in a relationship with him. For this woman and for you today, Jesus is saying, I'm the one to come to, to quench the inner thirst, to fill that inexplicable emptiness within you. I'm the one to come to for that. Maybe you, maybe you felt exactly like that. Maybe you're living, again, living there right now, and with all the ways and things you've tried, you wonder if this void, if this emptiness, if this longing will ever be satisfied. In my Christmas Eve message just a month ago, I, I shared the example of of Tom Brady in his 60 Minutes interview years ago, you know, with all of his uh, Super Bowl rings and unprecedented football success still verbalized in that interview, his deep nagging question. And I, I heard it and I was like, wow, uh, God, I, I believe I prayed and I've done this, but I'm sure you have as well. God, bring, bring a genuine Christ follower across his path who can speak into this because he said, why do I still feel so empty? The answer is found in coming to understand and respond to the words of Jesus in verse 14. Whoever comes to me will never thirst again. The things of this material, physical, temporal world will not satisfy you. My friends, and so many of you know that. Teenagers, students, the younger ones are here, senior highs. You know, parents get this message, and I'm sure you do. Christ-following parents get this message into their hearts. The quest that so many engage with to fill that emptiness, to, to, to quench that thirst, are the temporal, not all bad things in and of themselves, but if you're depending on the things of this world to fill that void, 
to quench that thirst, you're going to be very disappointed, frustrated, and you'll, you'll find you're living a feeling of futility. And that's what it is. As long as you look that direction to meet that need that all of us have. Famous Blaise Pascal quote, there's a God-shaped void in the heart of every human person that could only be filled by God. That's what Jesus is saying as well. John 6, Jesus uses a similar but a little different analogy where he talks about the bread of life, and we're going to look at that down the road. Whoever comes to me will never, thir- never, never hunger again. And in that same verse, he's, he's, he refers again to this, this, this thirsting piece. The Samaritan woman says, for sure, I want the water you can give so I'll never thirst again and then won't have to make the many trips I make in a week to this well to get water. Well, she didn't, she didn't understand that Jesus was talking about quenching spiritual thirst and, and, and that once you have Jesus, you don't, you don't need anything else to fill the inner longing or thirst. It's apparent that she kept thinking that another relationship would fill the void within her. So Jesus just cuts to the chase and he says, go and get your husband. Seems like kind of an abrupt interjection of direction there. But that's where she was looking to try to fill. So go get your husband. We got to deal with this. Jesus said, or or she she said, I I don't have a husband, as you heard us read. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, you've had five, and and, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Uh, A lot of of men, no doubt, had made promises to her in exchange for something. She's likely likely a little jaded. But all Jesus wants from her is a cup of water and then a conduit into her life, into her heart, so he can pour his love, God's love, into her life. And Jesus knows her story, but he does not condemn her. He just wants her heart to be open to what he can provide for life and eternity. After Jesus points out her relationship and living situation, she she probably wonders how he knows that. So she she tries to hide behind the the worship location discussion, which we don't have time to delve into. And then she tries to hide behind her hope of the distant coming of the Messiah at some point in time. She hoped that when when he comes, he'll he'll explain everything to us that that I can't figure out right now. I'm trying, but I I can't. Uh, See verse 25. She's likely thinking, this life as I know it, will make sense then. And she was, she was kind of on to something. Yes, the Messiah, Jesus, <laughs> could help her figure it out. Could be, if she allowed him to be, the answer to this quest, to this futility, to this frustration, to this emptiness. And she's right about all of that if she would just surrender to him. In the last verse of the passage, Jesus Jesus brings that, what she, she referred to as, in the distant future, the Messiah will come. Well, he, he brings it right into her present when he says, I am the Messiah. 
Okay, here we go. So if you're truly wanting to experience the life and this living water that only I can give, then right now, Mrs. Samaritan woman, you have a choice to make about surrendering your past, your sin, your future, your whole life to me. Are you willing to do that? He, he couldn't force her. Didn't want, well, I suppose he could. He's God. But he, he, he chooses not to force us. And I'm glad about that. Because if, if our relationship with God was, was forced or pre-programmed by God, it would be meaningless, wouldn't it? It would be robotic. It would be, yeah, pre-programmed. Not meaningful. We know with having that good option, there's the risk of turning away from God and His ways. And that messes up a world pretty big, doesn't it? We see that. The whole free will discussion is important. And that's what he was presenting here to this Samaritan woman. Many of you know this living water in your life because you've surrendered your heart and life to Christ at some point and you've received his grace, you've received his mercy, you've, you've stepped into by the drawing power of God in your heart in different ways, circumstances and in, inwardly, and what, but also by your choice to step in to that relationship, to surrender your life, to turn from your old way of living. Many of you, most in this room, I'm sure, have, have already done that. Others of you have, have, have never surrendered to God. But today, you may be at the place where you're saying, I want to do that. I want Jesus as, as the living water to supernaturally reside in me. And, and, and that opens up that relationship with my Creator. Jesus' reference to him being the living water, again, is a, is a, is a metaphor. We know that. Is a, is a metaphor for life that only he can give, and it's, it's clean, it's, it's cleansing, it's clean, and it's cleansing, and it's refreshing, and it's life-giving, purpose-giving. It's the new birth, spiritually speaking, that affects every aspect of our life here and now and our eternity. It brings the absolute assurance of eternity that we will spend it with God in his new heaven and new earth that he will recreate. Huh. Wow, what a gift. That could be found no other way except by surrendering to Jesus Christ. And if that's your desire to make, to make that commitment to God today, it's not about the specific words um, Although the New Testament talks about, you know, confessing with our, with our lips, verbalizing that uh, confession and, and, and commitment to God that we're making in, in the book of Romans. But if that's your desire, right now in this moment, here in this, uh, in this room or engaging online, you can pray, Heavenly Father, and do it. If that's your desire right now, if you've never committed your life to Christ, you want Him to be the living water, the source that would quench that longing and striving in your heart. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to this world, taking on human flesh, 
to live as a man so that you could identify with what life is like in this broken world. And yet you were perfect and sinless so that you could be the perfect sacrifice for the sin, for my sin. Taking upon yourself this, the, the, the penalty for, for sin that really belonged to me. But thank you, Jesus, for stepping in. You died so I could go free. You died so I could live eternally with you. I receive your gift of grace now. I ask you to, to, to forgive my sin. Lead my life. Be, be my closest friend. Guide me as a, as a, as a Christ follower. And, and what that means to live life that way. Help me, Lord. Help me love your word. Help me to connect with other believers for, for mutual encouragement and strength and prayer and support and help. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for in this moment becoming the source of living water in my heart and life. Amen. Amen. Some of you may have prayed that for the first time. Some of you may have expressed that as a recommitment after a, as a time of spiritual wandering. We, we, we'd, we'd love to know about that, to to rejoice, to, to celebrate with you that, that fact, to be excited. We are excited if, if you did that. The Bible says the angels are excited about that. Read Luke 15. We want to help you establish uh, roots in this new relationship. And so to, to help us do that, there's an I'm new card. Uh, and, and Eaglemont, friends, I know this is redundant week after week, but I know, you, so I know that your heart is for, for in, the, in these moments every week, uh, almost every week, uh, for, for people that are, are making that commitment. So the, the, the I'm new cards are there and you can leave us contact information indicating that you, you made that commitment of your life to Christ today. You can put that card in the slot in the kiosk by the gym exit doors or, or the QR code uh, online or in person here you can scan and the, uh, the same card will, will come up digitally. Let others know. If you made that commitment, let others know. It's, that's an important part of, 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 of making the turn toward becoming a Christ follower in this moment. And, and, and it's not something you have to work for work toward. It's a gift of grace. And yes, God wants to work in our life and grow our character on all of those things. But you've expressed faith in Christ and the work he did on the cross. You're in God. In that moment, you're in God's eternal family. It's mind-blowing, I know, but it's absolutely biblically true. 